Well, it would appear that President Joe Biden had the rug pulled out from under him yesterday, literally. He was online making some sort of speech. You know, everything's online. He can't be in front of people, obviously. And then after he finished his opening monologue there, he made a statement to the effect that, well, now I'm ready to answer questions, Nancy, if that's what you want me to do. And the White House feed stopped within seconds, leaving him looking like a fool. Obviously, he wasn't supposed to answer questions, and he wasn't uh, told that he wasn't supposed to say otherwise. And so they cut the feed off on him. Now, they're making it out to be an accident. But given that we have not seen much of Joe Biden since he became president, given that he has not done a press conference uh, in the last 30 or 40 days, uh, and given that the month of February has come and gone Without a, uh, without a State of the Union address being given, uh, I don't think it's too much of a leap of faith to conclude that that cutting out of the White House feed was not an accident. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. Use either your native podcast aggregator app, depending which advi- uh, device you use, the iPhone or the Android, And simply search for the NPO podcast in those play stores and you'll find us. In the alternative, you can download the free Podbean app provided by our hosting service, podbean.com. And you can subscribe to the show that way. Whatever way you choose to subscribe, you'll always be notified whenever a new show is uploaded, a new episode. And you'll be able to leave comments and write reviews. We do ask that you please give us a review. Give us a nice review, a good review. Because the more positive reviews we get, the more readily the show will be found when people search the podcast app stores looking for new content and the faster the show will grow and the more information we will be able to continue to bring to you. So please do that. So jumping in to the news. Oh, and one more thing I should get to mention before I forget. I uh, very much like to hear what you folks have to say. So if you'd like to email questions or comments or topics you'd like me to cover directly, simply shoot an email out to nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com, and we'll try and get on it straight away. We do like to hear what you have to say. Okay, so jumping right in, it seems that um, not all of things that President Trump did were bad. Surprise, surprise. No, I'm just being that tongue-in-cheek. There's no surprise there. The governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, is Joe Biden's pick to be Commerce Secretary. She's the nominee. And after he announced her, she made some comments. This was back in January, uh, and they're covering this today in the Epic Times. She made some comments. But uh, apparently, this past Thursday, yesterday, she acknowledged that the tariffs on China imposed by President Trump have been, quote, effective. And these comments signal that the current administration won't soon roll back these highly contentious tariffs. Quote, the data show that those tariffs have been effective, said Raimondo, who was confirmed on Tuesday to the cabinet role. What President Biden has said is there will be a whole-of-government review of all of these policies and decide what it makes sense to maintain. 
Well, it seems to me that if Ramundo has come out and said this, and she was just confirmed on Tuesday, and she said it after she was confirmed, and since Biden doesn't seem to know who he is or where he is or when he will arrive, uh, unless the people who are pulling the strings don't uh, want those tariffs maintained, it seems those tariffs are going to be maintained. Trump had imposed tariffs uh, totaling in the billions on Chinese products in an effort to confront the Chinese Communist Party's trade practices, which he had long maintained were unfair, uh, including the fact that the Chinese government subsidizes uh, their businesses to a a very, very great degree. Uh, He also placed tariffs on $360 billion worth of Chinese goods, including imported steel and aluminum in response to the regime's expansive state-sanctioned campaign to steal U.S. intellectual property. And that they have been doing for years, uh, and they did it as far back as the uh, Clinton administration when Clinton was practically in bed with them. Now, what is laughable is the new secretary, um, Raimondo, suggesting that the Biden administration plans to take a hard line on Beijing and would be tough on China in a whole-of-government response. Now, please, do you really expect us to believe they're going to be tough on China? You're in bed with China. Your son is in bed with China. There's no way that the Biden administration is going to be tough on China. China is going to take us to the cleaners unless we do something about it. And the earliest uh, chance we're going to get to do anything about it is the midterm elections. Now, COVID-19. I'm working on some information now that seems to indicate that the total number of U.S. deaths, I mean from everything, in 2020, did not markedly differ from what we had in 2019, 2018, and 2017. As the population increases each year, Deaths increase by a small but anticipated amount. Now, some um, statistics indicate that there's been virtually no change. Other statistics indicate that we have maybe 300,000 more deaths. Now, when you consider the fact that in the early stages of this COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, that you had idiots like Dr. Fauci claiming that millions of people would be dead, millions will die If we don't do this, millions will die if we don't do that. He was the guy that said it's going to be nothing more than like the flu when it first happened. He was the guy that said we really didn't need to wear the masks. And now everywhere you go, he's hawking the mask. Well, there seems to be a lot of contention about that. But let's assume for the moment, we're going to have more detailed information on this, and we'll probably attack this on Monday's show. But let's assume for the moment that the number of deaths are up. Let's assume that there are 300-some-odd thousand more deaths than normally occur. And let's further assume that of that 300,000, a good many of them are completely unnecessary. Because we know now, thanks to the incompetence of Duce in New York, that 15,000 nursing home residents perished from COVID-19 that needn't have perished. The vast majority of those nursing home patients who died were people who were only infected because 
COVID-19 positive patients were introduced into that very, very vulnerable population. Now, let's assume that 10% were already sick. That's at least 13,500 people. We had a similar phenomenon take place in the state of New Jersey. Let's add a few thousand more for that. I think the number was 3,000 or something along those lines. We can just play with it uh, because we know basically what happened in the tri-state area. So we got a few thousand more in Governor Murphy. So we're up to 16,000. Governor Whitmer had a bunch. I think California had at least five or 6,000. The bottom line is by the time you add up the people who died in nursing homes in five states where the liberal Democrat governors that run those states mandated that nursing homes take COVID-19 patients, which would be New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and California, you probably have a total of close to 40,000 or 30,000 people that died unnecessarily in nursing homes that didn't need to die at all. So now our 300,000 deaths get reduced by another 10% to 270,000. And then when we dig deeper, we find that many of these people who died uh, didn't die from the COVID-19 virus. They died with the COVID-19 virus, meaning they were already in compromised states of health. The average person had 2.6 other comorbidities. We've discussed this before. Only 6% of the deaths from COVID-19 were actually people that were in otherwise good health. And those are probably the only people that can be deemed to have truly died from COVID. The other people were just pushed over the edge by COVID. Um, So when you really slice through all the fat, when you see the number of unnecessary deaths caused by these ill-founded nursing home policies, when you realize the number of cases caused by the ill-founded policy of allowing the public transportation system in a densely populated city like the city of New York, subway cars, buses, to remain open while tell everyone, telling everyone else to socially distance and stand six feet apart when they're in a store or, or when they're in the hallway of their own building or any place else, it seems sort of counterintuitive. When you look at all these things in toto, you see that there really wasn't as many deaths from COVID-19 as originally led to believe. And we have to ask ourselves, in a country that regularly accepts, again, everything is a, is a um, question of degree and a trade-off. In a country that regularly accepts and lives with 2,800,000 plus people dying every year from various causes. What was so shocking to the conscience of 3,100,000 people dying in a given year? Not that we shouldn't be grieving if we lost loved ones. I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. Not that we shouldn't try to prevent deaths. But what was it? about those additional 300,000 deaths that justified wrecking an entire economy, almost wrecking an entire economy, save but for the states that were run by Republican governors who decided to keep them open. What justified taking 35% of all New York restaurants in the city of New York and putting them out of business permanently? 
What justified closing down all these companies? What justified wrecking people's lives? What justified having people delay attending to other pressing health matters because they were afraid to be exposed to COVID and go to a hospital? Surgeries canceled. I have a friend who has a problem. Uh, He has two cancerous cysts in his pancreas. And he's being told, well, it's not aggressive. Let's not worry about COVID. Let me tell you something right now. I lost a dear friend to pancreatic cancer. And when he originally got sick, it was considered non-aggressive. And then it changed and became aggressive. You got something in your pancreas, I wouldn't fool around with it. I'd want to get it out right away. I don't care what doctor says anything. Doesn't belong there. It's cancerous. It's got to go. The hell with COVID. COVID's got a 99.5% survival rate. Give me the COVID. I'll risk it. Cut the cancer out. Things are getting ridiculous. The, the com- common sense has been a casualty of this entire COVID uh, pandemic. It has been the major casualty of COVID. Now, I started getting off on this COVID because of the COVID relief bill. We have another COVID relief bill in the Senate, uh, $1.9 trillion. Now, why couldn't they just round it up and make it an even $2 trillion? They're going to try and save a tenth of a trillion after pissing away money as if they were printing it? And I guess in a manner of speaking, they are. I'd just like to point one thing out to the um, benighted among us, like Andrea, uh, Alejandria Ocasio or Cortez, AOC, who thinks we just print up money, dumb twit that she is. She should go back to tending bar. Uh, the United States doesn't just print up money because people aren't paid in cash, first of all. Uh, they make transfers on a balance sheet. and You just can't give yourself money on a balance sheet that you don't have when you go to send these checks out. So how does the government do it? Well, that's where you hear these dis- discussions of the national debt. There's a difference between the annual budget deficit, how much money we spent in a given year that we didn't have, and the national debt. So I'll explain the two. The budget deficit is whatever we spend in a given fiscal year beyond which the government takes in. Clear on that? Okay, so if we spend $4 trillion and we only took in $3 trillion, we've spent a trillion more than we took in. So where do we get that money? Well, we borrow it. And we usually borrow it by people encouraging people to buy our treasury bills, our bonds. And many foreign governments buy it because they consider it a safe investment for their money because the United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world. Well, the sum total of the annual budget deficits every year is our national debt. And our national debt is well into the 20 trillions of dollars. And it's just getting bigger by the day with these COVID relief packages. Now, I might not mind so much if the majority of the COVID relief actually went to people in the United States who are citizens and have made this country work and pay their taxes and are just trying to survive. But when I see 10 billion of the 1.9 trillion are for the global response to the COVID-19 outbreak, um, when I see that 204 million uh, for those State Department operations that prevent 
prepare for and respond to coronavirus domestically or internationally. The State Department handles foreign affairs. There isn't going to be much of that $204 million spent domestically. You can assure yourself of that. It's going to be spent internationally in third world dumps that we have no business getting involved in before we help our own people. $41 million made available for domestic or international operational expenses for the U.S. Agency for International Development. Again, not much going to go to the United States citizenry out of that. $41 million is going to go to foreign people. Now, it says most of the spending in the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations portion of the bill, $8.675 billion, falls under Section 1003 of the Global Response to COVID-19, which channels billions to shore up existing efforts to fight infectious diseases and provide disaster relief against the impacts of the pandemic. This includes $3.75 billion uh, to fight HIV, AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, as well as $3 billion for international disaster relief, including reconstruction, health services, and emergency food security needs. Now, tell me what tuberculosis, malaria, HIV, and AIDS have to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, we have elderly people, my mother included, waiting for a vaccine. But anybody who wants to cross the southern border illegally gets the vaccine automatically. Now, somehow that doesn't really add up to me. Now, $930 million has been allocated under the global response section. That's going to go to foreign aids. So the point is, we have this all the time. And Ron Johnson, to his credit, senator from Wisconsin, forced a full reading of the 600-page bill to lead to an effort to arrange shifts of lawmakers, meaning when you actually have people uh, have to hear what's in it, you can sort of put people on uh, on the spot and get them to vote for amendments to try and rein some of this stuff in. Now we have Mitt Romney. Remember him, the 2012 failed presidential candidate and traitor to President Bush? I mean, to President uh, Trump, rather. Uh, Romney said that he and some fellow Republicans are working on several amendments. He said it would probably mean less money would go to states and localities. California, for instance, has a huge surplus this year. And yet, under the $1.9 trillion plan, they're supposed to get another approximately $20 billion or more. That doesn't make a lot of sense to go borrow that money to give to a state that doesn't need it. Well, that's probably true. But you want to know the the truth, Senator? I would rather see the $20 billion go to some needy people in California than go to some uh, third world dump that robs its own treasury at the expense of the people to enrich the leadership. So I don't really care. Now, Republicans largely oppose state and local funding in the relief package, of which there's around $350 billion. The dust will settle on that. But it's just nice to be reminded of the fact that COVID-19 relief packages have very little or seem to have very little to do with actually helping Americans who have been victimized by COVID-19. And when I say victimized by COVID-19, I'm not talking about Americans who have gotten sick from COVID-19. I'm not even talking about those unfortunate Americans who died from COVID-19 or more likely with COVID-19. I'm referring to those people who had their lives and businesses ripped to shreds because of government's inept response to COVID-19. And that ineptitude has been on grand display, typically in the bluest of states, California, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and the big one, New York, where all holy, almighty Il Duce 
now one foot in the grave, the other one on a political banana peel for his sexual abuse of three women, more on the way, and his execution of 15,000 New Yorkers by sending COVID-19 patients to nursing homes, killing the residents, is where all that ineptitude was on big display. That's where it all took took place. And the bailouts here are to bail out these states that have gotten themselves in terrible financial shape because of fiscal irresponsibility and unsound financial policies that had nothing to do with COVID and preceded COVID. This is what's going on. This is what the state that we're in. But I wanted to save the best for last. I wasn't going to make this a a very long podcast. Yesterday's podcast was a little longer. Just to let you know that in addition to the hypocrisy and self-preservation that I said is on uh, grand display and is uh, alive and well, there's also stupidity on the way. Now, you can look up the definition of the Yiddish word schmuck uh, in the dictionary or in the, on the Google uh, virtual dictionary in our cultural lexicon. But it's not, a, uh, it's not a flattering term, let's put it that way. And when you look up the word schmuck, you'll probably see a picture of Congressman Eric Swalwell from California right next to it. Because a bigger schmuck you would never meet than Eric Schwalwell. For those of you who can't recall, Eric Schwalwell was a nondescript politician locally, someplace in California, and he was selected by the powers that be to be someone who was going to run for Congress. And he hooked up with this little Chinese harlot by the name of Fan Fan. As I said before, it sounds like something out of a James Bond novel. Uh, And he had a romantic twist with this woman. He won't admit to it, but everything points to it and everybody seems to accept it. He's been allowed to go on the uh, Intelligence Committee of the House. Meanwhile, he was bankrolled in many of his campaigns by questionable sources, including this woman who was known to be a Chinese government spy. And yet he is the one throughout Trump's presidency that kept calling Trump an agent of Russia, kept saying there was more evidence to suggest that he is than that he isn't. And this man was a former prosecutor. Could you imagine this lunatic, this mentally defective idiot, this man who has uh, a paranoid disease, was a prosecutor in charge of the dispensation of justice and and, uh, deciding on people's fates? He's out there now filing a lawsuit against Trump. He's filed a lawsuit claiming that President Trump, his son Donald Jr., former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama made false and incendiary allegations of fraud and theft. And in direct response to the defendant's express calls for violence at the rally, a violent mob attacked the U.S. Capitol. In the statement, Swalwell said that all four defendants assembled, inflamed, and incited the mob, and as such are wholly responsible for the injury and destruction that followed. Eric, let me help you out here, save you some time. In case you didn't know, you probably were sleeping at the time. Maybe you were in the same room taking the same drugs they're pumping up Joe with, sleepy Joe Biden. There was a uh, impeachment. That was run. Articles of impeachment were 
voted on in the, the house where you ostensibly serve. I, maybe you even voted on yourself and forgot. But they impeached the president for this very reason. And a trial followed in the Senate. It was an illegal trial. It was a trial to remove a man who'd already left office. It wasn't presided over by the chief justice as the Constitution requires, but they ran it anyway as a show. And the president was acquitted of those charges in that chamber, the upper chamber of Congress, the Senate. He was acquitted. So all these things you say that you think you can prove by a preponderance of the evidence, by more than a preponderance of the evidence, the Senate rejected. Everyone now knows that Antifa people were arrested in the Capitol. Everyone now knows via Twitter and their Twitter feeds that these things were planned weeks in advance, long before Donald Trump or any of these men that you mentioned took the stage and uttered a word. And you cannot play that tape and find anyone there, particularly President Trump, making express calls, as you call it, for violence at the rally and then blame the mob that attacked the Capitol on those speeches. It just doesn't happen. The hypocrisy that comes from the left is, it would be laughable if it weren't so embarrassing and so pathetic and so serious. We have here a little shitbird who is a, a dweeb. We have here a man who's incompetent. We have here a man who is totally beholden and owned entirely by the Chinese Communist government, serving in Congress. They refuse to remove him from the House Intelligence Committee where he gets access to very sensitive information, which he no doubt passes on either knowingly or unwittingly through his stupidity to his little Chinese harlot. And he's trying to sue the former president of the United States and company on something that everyone now knows didn't occur. And this is allowed to happen. This is allowed to happen and we pretend that it's okay. I don't know what Eric Swalwell thinks he hopes to accomplish He's not going to uh, enhance his chances of being a, um, a presidential candidate in 2024. He couldn't get out of the starting gate in 2020. He's not going to do any better four years from now. I think he'd be very lucky if he's still a congressman four years from now. He should be gone. Then you have the hypocrisy of the head witch-in-chief, Nancy Pelosi. This is the woman who excoriated President Trump and those in the Republican Party that were in favor of the border wall, which enhanced our security along the Mexican-U.S. border. Border walls are unhealthy. Border walls are ineffective. Border walls are immoral. This was the constant refrain that we heard from people like Nancy Pelosi and other members of her party. It was an unending refrain. But she seems perfectly comfortable now living behind a wall in the Capitol when it suits her. Nancy, why don't you tear down that wall? Send those guard troops home. Don't you know that walls are immoral? Don't you know that walls are ineffective? Don't you know that walls are unjustifiable? And if they're immoral and ineffective and unjustifiable to use against people who have no freaking business being here in the first place... They have to be doubly ineffective, immoral, and unjustified to use against our own people who decide they want to peacefully protest at the house that they voted to send you to. You're not a king. 
You're not a queen. You're not anything. You're an evil old bag whose time is past, and it's time for you to go. Past time, in fact. And that day may come sooner than you think. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.